Wertes in der Kleinstadt Winden ein Junge auf mysteriöse Weise verschwunden. Die Frage ist nicht, wer die Kinder entführt hat, sondern wann. Das Ende ist der Anfang. Und der Anfang ist das Ende. Tick, tick. Du wirst alles verstehen, wenn es an der Zeit ist zu verstehen. Tick, tick. Aber jede Entscheidung für etwas ist doch immer eine Entscheidung gegen etwas. Hello and welcome to Dark, a companion podcast to the Netflix TV series. I'm PB. I'm Acorn. And I'm Murgles. Shall we begin? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's yes, been yes, two yes, weeks Charlotte. for us. I and, know. Yes, and Charlotte. I've been, I've been waiting for this one for a bit. But before we dive in, I just want to point out it's a companion podcast. It's not a watch along. So you definitely want to have watched the series. Be hungry for more discussion, theories and things like that. We're also running the podcast as a discussion between friends. So we each go away with the topic of the week. We write our own notes and then we come together and share. Uh, no sneak peeks. So that means we won't always get everything completely right, but it should also lend for more surprises during that discussion. And ultimately, hopefully you feel like you're in our living room talking right along with us. So today we're going to be talking about Charlotte. Yeah. But before we do that, I do have an icebreaker question for you. <gasps> it's Yay! Been so long. Okay. It's been quite a while, and it is a tough one. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. Sort it's of been a while cool. since I've been in therapy. So. Yeah. So, yeah, this will be good. <laughs> now, you can answer me if you want. I just want to give you permission. But I personally don't think I count because of all the work that I've done. At least I hope so. But the question is, Have you ever had experience with or difficulties with an emotionally unavailable individual? <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. yes. It's not you. Don't okay. worry. It's absolutely not you. Uh, oh, yep. my God. I think I've done a lot of work now and I've gone in the opposite direction where I'm emotionally incontinent. So <laughs> my emotions are all over the place. But yeah. Yeah. I think the difference, though, is that you're very emotionally available to people that mm -hmm. you care about mm -hmm. versus like emotionally closed off in order to survive or anything yeah. like that. Like, yeah. I don't I don't yeah. feel like you may do that for your own emotions and mm -hmm. your own life and own time. But I think that for the people that you care about, you're readily emotionally mm -hmm. available. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. And my answer yeah. is not you either. So oh, wonderful. Okay, so you don't <laughs> actually have to like obviously name the person. But the question is kind of sort of twofold. I want to talk about when you were engaging with that person and having experiences and or difficulties, were you able to realize why they were emotionally unavailable or did that come later in retrospect? Mm. I can go first. Mm -hmm. The person who was emotionally unavailable for me was a past relationship, which mm -hmm. is probably one of the most painful. I get, well, at the same time, I feel like most of the people who are impacted by emotionally unavailable people tend to be in close relationships with them, either yes. as a family member or a partner or something. Mm -hmm. But the person I was with was very much emotionally unavailable. And I didn't realize at the time how distressing that was to me because I was in like managing mode and I had to just kind of deal with it in the moment because I had no other alternative. I don't think I realized at the time why that person was emotionally unavailable. I think later after having an objective position where I could look in the past at my relationship and see why it was the way it was, what kind of impacts it had on us and me and them, mm -hmm. I started to piece it together. What I can say though is 
at the time I didn't realize how painful it was, but yes. looking back, it was like dying little deaths every day. Yes. Every time they'd said no or rejected things that I needed from yep. them when it, whenever I asked for something and they said, just no, I'm not going to do that or I can't or whatever. Yeah. Um, it really did feel like you were dying a little bit. Um, so yeah, that's yeah. my answer. And it's like part of the reason why I wanted Charlotte to have her own episode is because it took me a really long time to realize the earthquake that emotional unavailability causes in your stability, in your relationship, how you navigate your experience with an individual and how how just truly detrimental that it is. And nobody talks about it. We don't talk yeah. about it. And I, I don't know if that's because it's not something that we quite are aware of yet. And then maybe in a couple decades, everyone will be talking about it that kind of thing. Yeah. But I do feel like it's a crazy thing that sometimes you don't recognize. And the difficulty with it is that when it's happening to you, it's difficult to recognize. And automatically, the person that's in the relationship that is being emotionally available internalizes it like, oh, this must yeah. be me. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. I'm not doing this right. Or if I were better, then they yeah. would be the way that I'm being, you know, or I'm being emotionally available. So I just want to talk about that because a lot of my discussion with Charlotte today is a ripple effect on everybody mm -hmm. else in her life and the decisions that they made because she was emotionally unavailable. So Mergs, you, yeah. you said you had somebody in mind as well. Yeah. Yeah. It was also uh, a personal relationship that I had in my mm -hmm. very, very early 20s. Like a romantic one? Yeah, it was a romantic one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was in my very early 20s. I think the trouble with perhaps emotionally unavailable people, and I look back on it now, is that I think I internalized a lot of that and I saw it as a reflection of my self-worth and my deservingness of love from yeah. that person. And yeah. that this person who I really cared about, if they were unable to love me, then was I lovable at all or whatever? I'm unlovable. Yep. I'm yeah. unlovable. Oh, yeah. And I look back on it now and I see that to some extent, I'm not sure I... I think thieves will probably fight me on this a little bit. I look back and I and I see that I understand why they were emotionally unavailable. And I'm not sure that I was the person who was capable of allowing them to be emotionally available to me at that time because I feel like I... <laughs> TV's face. <laughs> I'm listen, it's only because I like know this story. I know this relationship and I don't want to say too much. I don't want to speak for you. I really pitched a narrative. And I think when you put someone on a pedestal and you pitch a narrative about them, like it doesn't really give them a ton of space to like be vulnerable with you because like, what is the benefit? of that? <laughs> All I'm, right. Listen, you know, the guy wasn't interested, ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that I, I was trying to get water from a well that was not producing any water for me. And I thought that it was because of me. That's fair yeah. to say. That's the long, long yeah. and short story of that. Yeah. But I think I'm pretty rad. So yeah, and I you, deserve water. You are. You <laughs> yeah. absolutely deserve water. You are a spring yourself. Yeah. Oh, geez. We thanks. talked about that before. Yeah. yeah. And there are people who search out certain individuals to make themselves feel like sometimes you'll have emotionally unavailable people that are gravitated towards the emotionally available because they don't feel those things. They don't mm. allow themselves. It's alluring almost in a yeah. weird way where they're like, oh, well, you make me feel things or watching you go through feelings or being emotionally available. I find comforting or helpful. 
but they don't understand, okay, now you need to take that next step and be emotionally available for your emotionally available partner or sister or son or something like that. So there's that aspect of it too. So I guess the follow-up question to that is how long did it take for you to recognize, oh, this was them being emotionally unavailable and not me? Oh, so that's an interesting question to answer because Mm -hmm. I don't think it took me too long to realize that they were the emotionally unavailable one. Mm -hmm. The problem with it was I didn't think I had a choice. Mm. Like I didn't think that I could leave that person because it wasn't big enough of a problem to leave them for, yep. leave them over. Yep. So yeah. it was something that I just dealt with. It was mm-hmm. part of their weird quirks. It was just who they were. And if I cared about them, then I would care about all of them, including yeah. their emotionally unavailable self. Yeah. So it wasn't compatible, but I also didn't use that as the reason to leave them. Mm. That's so interesting because I think a lot of people, again, because we're not talking about emotional availability, I think on a society level, people talk about, oh, you know, having a very active sex life is something that's really important to me. And they're able to say, this is something I'm interested in. Or you have to like being physically active, like going for hikes and things. And that's not something I'm going to settle for less than that like that's part of what makes this relationship that i'm interested in you have to have the same goals or the same vision or do you want kids or don't you want kids like we're able to talk about all of these things but i don't hear people saying they have to be emotionally available because it's like people will say oh it's not that big of a deal whether or not they're emotionally available or it's just kind of like they're private or they're other words to paint the emotionally unavailable person that make it okay, or, and I'm using mm-hmm. air quotes for that, or that make it easily swept under the rug when in reality, emotional availability and vulnerability, which are kind of two different steps, I think. There's being emotionally available and then there's that step up to being vulnerable. But that emotional availability is like so important and we just aren't talking about it. It's such yeah. an important aspect of that foundation of any relationship that you're in whether it's a parental or sibling or romantic relationship, it's a really important part of that foundation. And if it's missing, you've got cracks and it's shaky and you you end up having things build over time. And then one person like explodes and it feels strange. Like, well, have you been harboring this this whole time? And it's like, they don't realize, but yeah, it's because you haven't had time to leak it because that other person is emotionally unavailable. So you just let that build and build and build and it's not healthy for either of you. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's an important part of communication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I feel like when you're with an emotionally unavailable person, you have to do so much labor and gymnastics and you have to sort of carve yourself into a being that can accept very little Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. deny your own needs in order Mm -hmm. to survive through that. Yep, absolutely. And like, I think what people don't realize is how quickly that can happen, because I feel as though Acorn, you mentioned earlier, like a thousand little deaths, this idea of like Mm -hmm, every time they say no, every time they turn around and put down your excitement or every time they dismiss your need Mm -hmm. for that connection in that moment, Mm -hmm. you stop going there. And so you stop looking for it after a while. Yeah. 
And you just kind of go, okay, well, that's just how they are. But then meanwhile, you're drying out and like dying inside. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not a nourishing situation. And it's not always so obvious either. It's not always, and we can use Charlotte and Peter as a good example. It's not always that, well, I guess that's not a good example because she's very dismissive of him from what we see because of the betrayal and she's holding Mm. that grudge and that's all we can really see. But Let's talk about Francisca and Magnus, actually, just for a second and talk about that emotional unavailability that Francisca has and how Magnus is constantly pressing her for what on the surface seems like info, like I want to know you. But what he's asking for is that emotional availability. He wants Mm -hmm. to know what you're thinking and feeling because he loves you and wants to connect on that level and in that way. And it's not always obvious because she is very available in every other way for him except for that one. Mm. And right, it's not always that dismissive. It's not always saying no to doing things. Sometimes it's as little as, hey, what do you want for dinner? Whatever you want, I don't care. What do you want to watch on TV? I don't care. Over and over and over and over again. And all your brain is translating is, I'm not present. I'm not present. I'm not invested in this relationship, blah, blah, blah. And it's like all of those little things added up in all aspects of the relationship. And I feel like everybody has at least one person most of the time really close to you, whether a brother or an aunt or mother or whatever. Everybody has had that experience and we're still not talking about it. So that's kind of really what I want to explore with Charlotte today is her emotional unavailability and also how it reflects through Tan House and how it reflects through a lot of the other characters and how it's just as much of a snake eating its own tail and we can actually follow the line generation through generation of that happening through Tan House and other people and other characters in the show. I'm really impressed with the way the show did that, how it wrote these characters that are emotionally unavailable in different scenarios and in different relationships, but you can find it in several places throughout the show. And I find that very interesting. Mm. And I don't see that in the forums. I don't see that on Reddit. I see all these things where people pick out, oh yeah, this is in this character and this character. And you can find signs of this in threes and all that, but we don't talk about this this aspect of it at all as well. However, I don't want to only talk about how emotionally unavailable Charlotte is. <laughs> <laughs> so we're actually going to go through her timeline, just like we do for everybody else. We're going to touch on some other really cool facts, and then we'll save that emotional vulnerability bit for the end. Charlotte Doppler is the chief of Wyndon Police in 2019, married to Peter with whom she has two daughters, Francisca and Elizabeth. 2041, Charlotte was born to Noah and Elizabeth, her daughter, yes, that's right, in the woods surrounding post-apocalyptic Winden. Shortly after her birth, she's kidnapped by an older version of herself and an older version of Elizabeth. Then they travel to 1971, where the older Charlotte and Elizabeth bring infant Charlotte to clockmaker Tanhouse. The same night, Tanhouse loses his son Merrick, daughter-in-law Sonia, and his granddaughter Charlotte in a car accident. He decides to take the baby in and raise her as his granddaughter. Fast forward a little bit to 86. As a student at Wyndon's high school, Charlotte takes an interest in the growing number of dead birds she comes across. She documents them in a sketchbook and takes specimens home to put in the freezer. The recurrence of this phenomenon in 2019, also coinciding with missing children, troubles her greatly. Now, I just want to put a mental bookmark there because we're going to come back to that in just a second because it parallels with Helg 
caring about the dead birds. But for Charlotte, it's completely different because I think Charlotte has known about time travel for a very long time. I feel like she's always felt something's been off. Plus Tanhouse talking about it repeatedly nonstop. I feel like she feels she's not part of the world that she's in. Something in her bones feels strange. And so she's always known on some level. While Charlotte is drawing a dead bird in her sketchbook on the edge of the forest, Jonas from 2019 comes out of the cave and asks her what year it is. She answers, obviously, 1986, and he goes away. In 87, September 23rd, Tenhouse is working in his shop. When Charlotte arrives, she asks him if he's ever wondered if it was possible to rewind time. He tells her he's wanted to turn back time for quite some time pun intended, I'm sure, but his place is not in the past or the future, but in the present with her. He hands her a picture of a couple with a baby. Charlotte asks if they're her parents, but he tells her it is his son, his wife, and granddaughter who all died in an accident. He tells her that when it happened, he heard a noise in his store and saw two strange women carrying her, telling him that everything would be taken away from him, but then he would be given everything. Later, he receives the call telling him about the accident. They only found the bodies of his son and daughter-in-law, but his granddaughter's body was never found. He shows Charlotte the only thing that was brought with her, a pocket watch engraved for Charlotte. Charlotte says she doesn't understand. She asks Tanhouse who her parents are, but he says he doesn't know. Obviously, Charlotte doesn't take this well and storms out. Waiting at the bus stop, a young man gets out and asks her how long it would take to walk to Winden. Charlotte tells him to reconsider because most people will never leave Wyndon. She asks what brought him there. He tells her his mother passed away and his father, who she only just told him about, lives there. Charlotte asks if he believes there's a way to bring someone back from the dead before they die. The boy introduces himself as Peter Doppler, her future husband. Later, he goes to the Doppler cabin while Charlotte returns to Tanhouse. Now I'm going to speed up a little bit. Those are very important aspects for Charlotte. 2003, Charlotte gives birth to Francisca. 2011, Charlotte gives birth to Elizabeth, who then also becomes her mother. 2019, they say Charlotte has a very serious all-business personality. We're going to switch that and remember, <laughs> yes, she's all-business, but remember she's emotionally unavailable and has been for a very long time. That's very important. This is when people start to go missing and we see her emotional unavailability for the first time in the show when she's questioning Elizabeth about her missing friend. And again, questions Peter many times about his whereabouts. She is focusing particularly on this case and her job, and it is her way of escaping things that are going on in her personal life. It also says, Charlotte is not known to time travel, but her grandfather, Tanhouse, the author of the book, A Journey Through Time, she remembers him telling her about the 33 lunar cycle, the Big Bang, and other such things. She says this. I think in episode three of season one, or maybe even episode one of season one, she talks about the lunar cycle and how her grandfather has been obsessed with time travel and all of these things for a very long time. She discusses this with Ulrich when one of the kids is going missing. Now, I personally always found it very strange that all of these things would be happening and Charlotte doesn't seem to react, in my opinion, I hate to use the word normal, but in a normal way. Did either of you notice that with her? Yeah. All of this weird info she was getting, it's almost like she had a theory and she was getting the information that was proving this theory. Yeah. Yeah. I always felt like she was hearing the information 
and just logging it away without having any emotional attachment to it whatsoever, just methodically and analytically logging it away. Mm -hmm. And I admired her a lot Mm -hmm. for that. Like, I loved that about her in the first Mm -hmm. season. I felt like that was what she needed to do in order to solve this. Yeah. Um, Made her a very good detective. But yeah. yeah. So I remember a couple of key moments in watching Charlotte, especially before we see alternate Charlotte and how happy and like emotionally available she is. I feel like when you watch season three, Charlotte, you see what a career driven policewoman looks like because she's still emotionally available. But she's still focused on her job. Whereas when we see this Charlotte, this is emotional unavailability in life and home and work. Yes, it makes her a good detective. But in my opinion, it's not the other way around. She is not a Mm -hmm. good detective. And then, you know, bring that home. She's emotionally unavailable and it is fueling the way that she's doing her police work as well. Yeah, I think that actually is supported by the fact that in the alternate world, if we're Mm -hmm. going to consider Charlotte in the alternate world as being more emotionally available, well, she's also the chief, right? Oh, wait, no, she's not. But she's having an affair with the chief. Ulrich is the chief. You're right. Oh, yes. Ulrich is the chief. Yeah, Ulrich is the chief. Yep. Mm -hmm. Scratch everything I just said. That's okay. (laughs) It's It's a good line of thought, though, but you still see it in the trust she puts in everybody else. She's very emotionally available there and it's not just because she's having an affair with Ulrich but the fact that she is having an affair is her being in touch with her own emotions and desires and allowing herself to act on them so we do see that in alt world Charlotte and we do see that she can still be a very good detective still driven still kind of paying attention while still being emotionally available now towards the end of season one she begins to understand that people are time traveling She finds Ulrich's picture in the newspaper from 53 describing the missing boy. She's so withholding to Ulrich this entire time. Yes, she is. And Ulrich's like, dude, I'm finding this stuff. Something's weird. I don't understand what's going on. I'm having a hard time grasping reality. He's very emotionally available there to say, I'm confused. And Charlotte holds all of that back. She finds weird things, too, that don't make sense. And she doesn't share anything, which I always thought was strange, but led me to believe, does she know? One of my theories about Charlotte is that she's always known or she's always felt something's off. She asked a couple of key questions from her grandfather. She says some stuff to Ulrich. Just like you said, Mergs, she takes in all this information and starts documenting it. It's almost like she's just letting these pieces fall into place. She walks into that bunker and they tell her about time travel. And she's like, yeah, OK, that clocks. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, that clocks. That literally clocks. <laughs> yeah, quite. Yeah, it makes sense. She really is like a one mm-hmm. woman crime team. And I yeah. think you're right. I think yeah. it's because a lot of that case is tied to her personal backstory. Mm-hmm. And so I think to some extent, she wants to put all of her focus on it and not involve anyone else because mm-hmm. it's her personal journey of digging up the truth mm-hmm. as it relates to both the crime that she's trying to solve and to her past. Yeah. Now, the question for me is, or well, I guess the question I pose is, do you think there is evidence in the show that shows she knew what happened to her or that she was from a different time? If there is evidence, I think it would be in her behavior. Mm -hmm. 
you know, when you think about the psychological implications of believing you don't belong in a time or place, yeah, I could see that translating into a detachment. Yes. So that is perfect because I think that is part of her emotional unavailability. Obviously, you know, she's raised by her grandfather and that is traumatic not knowing who your parents are. There are a lot of mm -hmm. emotional availability issues documented for kids who are adopted. You can go back and see that not having that or not feeling like you're in place in that way in this traditional family structure or even a non-traditional family structure, but just having that there can cause doors to be closed for you for your emotional availability. But I feel like her seeing the birds and documenting to the birds is like, there's something here. There's an itch in the back of my mind I can't scratch. I feel strange. I feel out of time. I feel detached. I feel like I don't belong here. Mm -hmm. And then to realize she married someone who has fallen in love with two people who feel out of place made me feel like, holy shit, this is the most realistic thing they could have done for Peter's character development. Even though Peter, wow. is, Peter is somewhat such a, like in a way, a smaller character. But look at that then. Peter has fallen in love with Charlotte who feels out of place in her own time. And Peter's fallen in love with Bernie, who feels out of place in her body. And when I had that realization moment, I was like, holy shit. That's so good. It's oh my so God. good. Great catch. That's genuinely insane. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, it's like a neat element. And I don't know if that's something that they had planned or it's just because these writers are so good at writing real people that it fell into place that way. Uh huh. And I've wondered that because for me, Bernadette, is like such a wonderful, powerful character in this show. And the fact that they included her in the way that they did was another way for people to relate and understand what it would feel like feeling out of place in some sort of way. And then that it's mirrored with Charlotte. Yeah. Is important to me. Yep. Because, man, that's that's some stuff that you can't necessarily you can't make up, you know, that makes me think about the alt world mm -hmm. and how. Peter is a priest. Mm -hmm. He's still spending time with Bernadette, yep. but in her biological form, yep. the way that she was born. And Peter is still married to Charlotte, but Charlotte is having her affair with Ulrich. Mm -hmm. So they both are still out of place, Benny and Charlotte, and mm -hmm. Peter's still with them, but it's in a different way. Yes. And I, th I think what's super interesting, too, and very neat when you look at Peter, and I know we've already talked about Peter, but this came up later. Peter's name means rock or stability. Oh, so the fact that you've yeah. got two people that are relying on Peter to be their rock and their stability and how crazy upset Charlotte becomes when Peter is no longer her rock or her stability. That's just it's just neat. I do have a question then, mm -hmm. if we're looking at it from that perspective, which mm -hmm. I absolutely love. Part of me wonders, is the question then, did Charlotte ever actually trust Peter enough to have her be her rock? Or so. was it? I don't think so either. I could buy that maybe the reason why she feels so betrayed is that maybe over the years he wore her down enough. Like yeah. she began to maybe go, you know what, maybe I can. And that maybe I can. Belong here. Yeah, I think exactly. it was maybe I can belong in this time. Yeah. And then but we know from the dialogue that Peter has with her that you've always been this way. Like yeah. I yeah. sought a relationship somewhere else, not because of sex, but because you weren't emotionally there. That's their conversation. Yeah. You've never 
told me anything. You've never given me anything. And so I ended up seeking a relationship because someone allowed themselves to be with me emotionally. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she's very dismissive of him. And it's very hard to watch. It is. How mean she is to him. Because to me, I look at that and their relationship and I go, oh, that marriage is over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Francisca looks at it and goes, oh, that marriage is over. But they just won't admit it. Nobody's talking about it. Francisca is emotionally unavailable. Elizabeth becomes emotionally unavailable. It's a generational Mm -hmm. issue that we can track Mm -hmm. through the show as well, just as much as we can the time travel. Tanhouse was emotionally unavailable with his son. And now we see it in Charlotte. And now we see it throughout the rest of the timeline. It is just as much a cancer in this show as the other things. The other, the time travel. We yeah. see Ulrich being emotionally unavailable with Hannah. You know, we, we, see it, we see it a lot. And it's a, it's a really crazy, pervasive aspect and element of the show that I don't know if we've really talked about too much. We talk about it on a micro level when it comes up between characters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But not giving it a name and talking about the ripple effect like you said Mm -hmm. yep i have an idea yeah i wonder if there's an element of self-protection and emotional unavailability that comes from the chaos of everything and i feel as though that yes in the show we're talking about chaos when it comes to time travel and all of that stuff but Mm -hmm. when i think about it myself I feel like emotional unavailability, and especially in the times where I felt emotionally unavailable to people, yeah. it's as a result of being within the chaos of life, yep. chaos that is existence. And I have to do this to survive. Yeah. yeah. And just to be clear, I'm just going to throw this out here, and then we're going to talk a little bit about maybe the other aspects of Charlotte, and we'll bring it back. But just to be clear for anybody listening, I personally have struggled with emotional availability my entire life due to childhood traumatic events, things like that. Both of my parents suffered severe trauma when they were young, which caused them at times to be emotionally unavailable to me. I love them both. They try very hard. They do their best. But because society doesn't talk about emotional availability, I don't know how they could have realized the impact that that would have on a child or their relationship. It's a generational issue that gets passed Mm -hmm. down because we're unaware of it. And so I've gone out of my way to try to stop myself from being emotionally unavailable, things like that. So I don't want it to sound like I'm shitting on people who are emotionally unavailable because I've struggled with that my whole life. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. I relate to Charlotte a lot. I'm getting emotional. Just give me one second here. Yeah. I saw her in the beginning. I was like, oh, I like her because I didn't clock the emotional unavailability right away. And I was like, look at her go. And it wasn't until I saw the dynamic between her and Peter and the way she was kind of putting him down, even though he was clearly apologetic, trying to make things work, and she just wouldn't forgive him. She wouldn't acknowledge. It's not even that she wouldn't forgive him. She said she had forgiven him and that they were going to work on their stuff, but she hadn't actually told him how she really felt about it. And she hadn't further then to take that layer back one more. She hadn't acknowledged to herself how much it hurt her and how much she was blaming herself for being in that relationship and allowing herself to be hurt as much as she had. And personally, I could see all of that in the way that the actress fucking nailed the character, the way that they wrote her. I saw it all. And at first I was like, am I fucking projecting? And then I went, no, it's all here. They did it all. And then that conversation when Peter said, you've never really been here. It hit me like I'd been punched in the face. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's so believable. That's exactly how that happens. 
unless you willingly acknowledge that that's something that you might suffer from and you go out of your way to stop that from happening. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah. It's intense. Yeah. Yeah. And like we we see that. We see that, too. Like there's that point, right, where Charlotte cries. Do you remember when Charlotte first cries in the show? I don't, actually. I can't place where. No. Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah. Hit me. Yeah. Where does she cry? Charlotte asks Noah who her mother was. Oh. oh and Noah right. says she loved you very much and still loves you. And then Charlotte cries. Well, me too. <laughs> I'm crying too. <laughs> that was in the shop, right? Yep. 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 And so what is that? What does that tell us? It's that a wound. It's a, yeah, it's a wound. wound. Yes. Yep. That can never heal. And you just like have to Ugh. build scar tissue around it. Yeah. Which is exactly what Tanhouse is suffering from, right? That wound of yeah. losing his yep. children that he refuses to acknowledge. And so now he's trying to do all this time travel. And Charlotte is just such an interesting character that's like both representing Tanhouse and also mirroring his trauma while not mirroring it exactly it's another aspect of it is she's just such mm -hmm. a fascinating fucking character yeah and also the idea that her name is charlotte but she is both representing the charlotte he lost and entirely separate yeah. she is yes. not that baby yet he says they never found the body yeah leading you to be like well what happened to the baby yeah. For a while, we were like, could it be? Was she snatched from them and taken here? No. Then it's revealed that Noah and Elizabeth had her and they took her from herself. It wasn't from the car accident. Where did that baby go? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I have no idea. We don't know. We literally do not know. There's no evidence for this baby anywhere. And it, it's wild. Anyway, Charlotte is actually such a central character to this show in mm -hmm. a way that you don't realize until you start looking closer because of those connections to mm -hmm. 10 houses charlotte in the origin world like when you think about it what would have happened had baby charlotte not been brought back to yep. 10 house mm -hmm. that cycle of being consumed by grief mm -hmm. and seeking to write it through the building of the time machine that would have just perpetuated, right? Can you imagine fracturing oh worlds, mm -hmm. exponentially duplicating? Yeah. But this baby being delivered to his doorstep was able to halt that grief enough so that he could embrace his life in the present, raising this child yep. as his own. Yeah. Now, here's yeah. another thing that kind of sort of blew my mind. You know that final scene where Hannah comes up with the name Jonas and we're like, okay, Jonas has lived on even though it's not going to be our Jonas, right? It can't be because, yeah. you know, the genetic makeup is completely different, but also realizing that the same thing happens to Charlotte because in Tanhouse's reality, his kids are saved and the baby is also saved and her name was Charlotte already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So oh, man. that's also that's a great parallel. There's parallels. So even... When all of this is over, they still mm -hmm. manage to keep that going, which I think is really fascinating. I think also, I don't know if you had a point about health. Hmm. So I'm very interested in the idea that Charlotte finds the birds and Helg finds the birds. Yes. And Peter yeah. is Helg's son. And yes. Helg is the only one who knows about time travel in Winden, quote unquote. <gasps> oh, yep. And yeah. then yep. Charlotte is as well. And then Charlotte's the only one that knows. Yeah. And then. Yeah. Oh, God, doesn't Hell give Charlotte the book? Or is that somebody else? He gives it to Claudia, doesn't he? Because he's, oh, he's yeah. been obsessed he gives with it Claudia. To, yeah. So even after all of this research on Charlotte, I'm still left with the idea that there is something 
there in that timeline with Peter that I can't figure out. Yeah. There is something there wrapped up in Charlotte, Peter, and their weird dance that they do and his disconnect and his bloodline and her bloodline that is important. And the fact that Peter is at that table in that final episode, it means something. I just wasn't able to figure it out. But I know in my bones, there's a thread there that someone can pull back and reveal something. Yeah, totally. Because you're absolutely right. Helg is the only one that knows about time travel. And he knew it as a kid. Mm -hmm. He traveled. Charlotte traveled Mm -hmm. as a kid. You know, there are parallels there. But why? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Totally. (laughs) Drives me crazy. (laughs) Also, in thinking about that bloodline, right? Like Helg... (coughs) Are you okay? Right, hold on one second. I literally inhaled that as I realized Helg dies in a car accident. Yeah. And so does baby Hel- Charlotte. <gasps> oh, yeah. God, you're right. Dude. Dude, they, they parallel each other in an insane way. Dude. Oh, my God. So Helg has Peter. Peter is Helg's son. We don't know who Helg's mom is, right? Uh, sorry, Peter's mom is. But they... Peter and Charlotte get together. Charlotte, presumably one of the only other people in Winden who learns about time travel on her own, sort Mm -hmm. of, I don't know, that convergence with the birds and stuff. There's a link there, right? And then they have Elizabeth and Elizabeth and Charlotte are a closed loop and they are the ones who travel. Peeb's got a face on. What does it tell me? I don't know how we didn't look at her name meaning because I don't remember us covering what her name means. Charlotte? Yeah. Charlotte means free man or free woman. No shit. Yes. For what? Wow. Dude, there's something going on there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there is. And I, I, there's something there. And I feel like if we might have had some deleted content that they originally wrote or had ideas yeah. that they just didn't feel like they had time to explore. But I know there's something there and I know it was all planned out and I know they have reasons why Charlotte Man. mirrors Helg and why her name was Charlotte. She takes mm-hmm. care of Helg. You yeah. know, he lives with them. She is constantly going to get him. Yeah. They yeah. have a close yeah. relationship. Even though Helg is Peter's yeah. father, right? Father. Yeah. yeah. It's her father-in-law. She, yeah. Yeah. She takes care of him when he's they end up tied together by marriage yep that's so interesting yeah that reveal right the reveal when she first because she's an adult when she first sees the birds fall on the ground yeah right yeah so she's the first person we see with the dead birds then the next person we see with the dead birds is Helg, who's collecting them <gasps> and we're supposed uh-huh. to think that that's all like this weird twisty gross fucked upness right yep yep and then after that is when we see that she did the same thing when she was a kid. When she was a kid, yeah. And that's when Jonas walks out and is like, hey, what's up? Yeah. But even her reaction then when he walks out and is like, what time is it? It's like she's caught a bone or a scent. And she's Mm -hmm. just like, you don't know what year it is? That's why she's a police officer, y'all. That's why she's a detective. it doesn't really bother her. I think so, too. Not only is she searching for why she doesn't feel like she fits, but the yeah. desire to search for her parents, like all yeah. sorts of things. This is why she becomes a detective. So I think even though they're like, we need to kidnap me to make the timeline make sense, she wouldn't have been a detective otherwise either. Right? Yeah. Yeah. She just wouldn't have done it. And the 33-year cycle, she so casually tells Ulrich when he says the kids are missing. It was just like back then. And then she brings up this eternal recurrence. As if it's al- yeah, eternal recurrence as if it's already on her mind, as if she's 
some part of her has always known. Also, yeah. by the way, I, I just realized, yes, Helg means holy. But if you look at the Swiss, Swedish or Old Norse meaning, it actually means blessed. And I got mm. chills because I remember Noah saying, you are yeah. blessed. blessed. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, God. Holy shit. You know, it's crazy as well, because when you think about the fact that she stole herself. Yes. She is the perpetrator of her greatest wound. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And aren't we all? But I can't think of anything more tied to that idea of emotional unavailability. It's you wounding yourself. I've been emotionally unavailable in my life as well. And I do feel as though I do struggle with that on occasion Mm -hmm. and have in the past, especially as a result of being hurt. It's removing yourself from the world. Yeah. Just like she did. She stole herself as a baby from her world. And she steals herself from the world every day. Yeah. She removes herself every day. Both stealing and stealing. Like Uh S-T-E-E. Yeah. 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 Yes. Wow. Another cool parallel is the watch, the pocket watch. Yes. I was just going to ask if we can talk about that. Take it away, Acorn, please. Yeah. To start with the parallel... In the origin world, we've talked about this before, Mm -hmm. how the origin world would have unfolded without these looped families. In the origin world, since there is no time travel, the watch was never stolen by Gustav Tannhaus. So it would have passed on to Leopold, Mm -hmm. then to HG, then to Merrick, then to Charlotte. And so it's cool how in dark worlds, both Adam's and Ava's world, the watch finds its way to Charlotte, just like it would have in the origin world. And it's part of that symbolism. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't let go of where the body is. I also couldn't, and I couldn't find out. But there, yeah. there is meaning there. There's something yeah. there that I would like to know more of. But I also just realized the symbolism in Charlotte getting a watch that says for Charlotte on it. And literally the whole point of this is to literally give the gift of time to his granddaughter, Charlotte, who was robbed of time on Earth. Yep. It's all for Charlotte. Yeah. The whole thing is literally, literally... For Charlotte. Handing a watch, like handing time to baby Charlotte. Fucking what? Holy (laughs) cow, dude. That, oh my God. Yeah, I think we just discovered- You're absolutely right. The title of the episode has to be For Charlotte. For Charlotte. Yes. Yes. The gift of time. The gift of time. (laughs) Yes. Holy shit. Can we- can we do something that's yeah. a little bit crazy? Because I, mm-hmm. I know that mm-hmm. we have a plan, but I just had the sudden... Fuck the plan. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> if we're going to call this episode for Charlotte. Yes. And we're talking about how emotional unavailability and mm-hmm. where it comes from, how difficult it is. What do we love about Charlotte? How can we love Charlotte? What is our love letter for Charlotte? Yep. I agree with this. Yeah. I can go first since I posited the question. Mm-hmm. I think... What I love about Charlotte and what I admire about her is that, yes, she may not deal with emotional turmoil and one of the hardest things that a person can go through. She may not deal with it in this ideal, healthy, perfect way, but I admire her strength and ability to keep going. And like we talk about her searching, she finds that ability to continue searching within her and she does solve it and she has enough of an open mind when When it is presented she's like okay she accepts it yeah Mm -hmm. and i think all faults considered that is in my opinion 
her saying yes to that is the vulnerability because she sees all of these things throughout her entire life and she cannot open her heart to it. But in that moment, she goes, yes, you're right. Time travel's real. What do we do? She does that with Peter, too, in Mm -hmm. season two. They go from having this really closed off, emotionally unavailable relationship, or at least one-sided, because he's Mm -hmm. there, but she's not. And in sharing this mystery and time travel, they're able to come together and become closer as a couple. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. I'm lost in a Charlotte hole now. (laughs) Mentally? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something that I love about Charlotte is when she starts finding this evidence about her family, she's able to follow that through rather than letting it destroy her. What I don't like, though, is that she I really have a hard time with that one conversation where she implies that being gay is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That you're a pedophile murderer. It really bothers me. But I do feel that it is realistic for the time. A lot of people feel that way. A lot of people think that even though it's wrong. So I do think it's important to acknowledge it, though, because I want to make sure that I I really don't like that about Charlotte. But I do like that she is seemingly willing to devote herself to this cause. Yeah. Like when she goes into the bunker and they're like, this is what's happening. She just straight up is like, "Okay, Claudia, here we go. Let me tell you these things. She's like, "Okay, I will devote myself to this. And that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I think the things I like about Charlotte pretty much echo what you've brought up too. I love her strength and also her patience and almost like self-confidence in herself. Yeah. While her emotional unavailability kind of makes her an island unto herself, there's also a weird sort of strength in that where she knows who she is. She is set out on this journey of life Mm -hmm. with herself. And no matter what she encounters, she's going to push through it because she relies on herself. I like that kind of strength. Yeah. I don't know if I agree that she knows herself. Not deeply. I'm more referring to the fact that she subconsciously knows there's something going on. Yeah. She doesn't know the answer to her life and her in who she is and her origin, but she's Self-confident in her ability to work through things and come to a conclusion and figure things out, even Mm -hmm. if it takes her whole life, because she may have been feeling things when she was a kid, but that patience and confidence that she's going to eventually figure it out because she will never let it go or leave it alone. I mean, God, that's to dedicate your whole life to that and to be patiently pursuing that. That's wild. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Also, at the same time, she's not very patient with with others, no. <laughs> yeah, with her partner um, and things like her that. Her children. Yeah, yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep, yep. She's patient with herself. Yeah. So I have a really weird factoid that I just want to throw out there. I mm. don't necessarily know how it ties in, but I just thought it was interesting during my research. So there is a novel, German novel, from a long, long time ago called The Sorrows of Young Werther. Now, in this novel or in this story, There is a love triangle, and the woman in this story, her name is Charlotte. This man named Werther falls in love. Charlotte's already engaged to somebody like 11 years her senior. But because this man is not emotionally available to Charlotte, she's attracted to Werther. They spark up a very intense friendship. Eventually, Werther cannot live with the fact that Charlotte will marry Albert, and he kills himself in his study. And... Charlotte finds him and he says, please don't call the police. This is what I want. And she just stays with him until he dies. And then I believe it's like left open to interpretation whether Charlotte 
dies of a broken heart. But what I find interesting about this is how sometimes being overwhelmed and taking your own life in Germany is apparently referred to uh, as the Werther effect, which I thought was strange. Oh. They actually refer to a specific time period after this novel was released where there were a lot of suicides and they call that specific event the Werther effect. And it's I'm not sure if it was real or not, because there's a lot of articles and a lot of information that's like legend or reality. Did this actually happen? Why do they call it the Werther effect? But I just thought it was interesting in a show that does feature that multiple times or they call like copycat suicide. They, they call that the Werther effect as well. I do know that there is, I don't know if it's laws, but there's mm-hmm. certain rules around the portrayal of taking your own life in media and things like that, because they do find that when a television show or a movie or something portrays it in a certain way, the number of people who actually do take their own lives as a result of that raises very quickly. Yes. Wow. 13 Reasons Why, when that came out, there was a lot of discussion about that and about what are the ethics of portraying and discussing suicide to the Mm -hmm. extent that when it comes to the knowledge that there is empirical evidence to show that people do take their lives after something's public. Yeah. So after that, that's what's called the Werther effect. So they would be like, we don't want to do the Werther effect where, you know, we're going to publish this and then there's going to be a bunch of suicides after this. Interesting. Yeah. I just I, I just thought that that was interesting. And it was a fact that I had not known about or not encountered when I was trying to look up like historical German fiction that has Charlotte in it because I feel like that that name must have been chosen for a reason other than just the standard Charlotte's Web I thought was an interesting Mm -hmm. parallel but I thought there had to be more than that because everybody else kind of has such a tie you know you've got the Minotaur you've got Ariadne so you know that they're making these references that stem very far back in mythology so then who's Charlotte? Who is Charlotte yeah. in all of this? Who's Persephone? Does Persephone have any children? Oh, that's a good question. Or does Persephone's mother? Persephone's mother, I think, has multiple children because Persephone is the goddess of spring who yeah. marries Hades and spends half of her year in the underworld. But I don't know if they had any kids. I feel like they would have. Like, Ooh. And that just strikes me as when Peter says, have you ever actually loved me? Like, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'm just going to read up on this. You continue. Isn't there a scene where grown Elizabeth and Charlotte hug and there's like this moment? Yeah. Isn't it the apocalypse or something? I think it was in the caves. Yeah, it's in the caves. After she moved through the time portal. Yeah. Jesus Christ, does Hades rape Persephone? What is happening here? Do I just <laughs> not pretty, know this story? It's yeah, a pretty it's gnarly pretty story. Yeah. Oh, then that yeah. totally explains why people ask if she fucking loves him. Jesus Christ, yeah. take yeah. all of that back. Holy crap. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's something like her mother, if I remember correctly, Acorn, I think probably knows and will correct me because I'm wrong. But I believe it's something like her mother trades her to Hades for a period of time, six months out of the year. And Persephone takes it in order to, I don't know, do something or stop something. Yeah, it's really hazy. So Dude. forgive me, listeners, if I get it wrong. But mm-hmm. I think she, Hades finds her when she was out in nature Mm-hmm. kidnaps her to the underworld. She eats a pomegranate seed. Mm-hmm. And because of that, she is now tied to the underworld. And so the compromise that the gods 
came up with was having Persephone marry Hades, but she's allowed to spend half of her year with mm-hmm. the other gods and in, in the natural world and then the other half in the underworld. Mm-hmm. I looked this up and it says the rape of Persephone is a classical mythological subject in Western art depicting the abduction of Persephone by Hades. This results in the myth surrounding creation of the seasons as Demeter mourned the time that Persephone spent in the underworld with her husband. In the context of the subject, the word rape refers to the traditional translation of Latin raptus, which means to be seized or carried off, not sexual violence, which is interesting considering Charlotte is literally seized and carried off. Um, That's the (laughs) the only connection I can see to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting. I do love the question of like, out of mythology yeah. and all that stuff. Like, who does Charlotte represent? Like, yeah. who are we looking at here? Unless she's literally the chariot. I can't figure it out. I looked yeah. and was like, okay, what does this name mean? Who does she represent in mythology? Because I know she does. Yeah. I know there's something there. And especially yeah. the more we talk about the connection with Helg and the birds. Yeah. There's just something there that I'm not educated enough on something to know that connection. But there is something there. So listeners, mm-hmm. this is where you come yep. in if you have any theories or ideas about <laughs> yes, that. Yes, please. We feel there's something in the air and hopefully you know <laughs> what it Somebody is. Somebody <laughs> must know. Someone yeah. must know something. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much what I had on Charlotte also talking about the emotional availability and just kind of how important that was because I felt like I couldn't do an entire episode just on Charlotte without talking about that piece because that's what spoke to me about Charlotte. There's a lot about Charlotte yeah. I don't like personality trait wise, but I love her. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. with you. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I feel like with a lot of therapy, she'll be okay. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I, I would like for her to acknowledge that. My honest to goodness hope for her is that assuming the original Wyndon existed and her and Peter separate and that kind of thing, that she does acknowledge that stuff and she does get the help that she needs because life and be beautiful when you allow yourself to feel things, even pain, you know, which is just the underlying message also of dark. So I just think yeah. that that's interesting. Yeah, that's beautiful. But for the most part, I mostly see Charlotte's flaws and I still love her despite all of that because she's a real person, I feel like. And the actress did such a good job of portraying that. How easy yeah. would it have been? to play an emotionally unavailable person and make them a bitch. Like, and she is, she is mean to Peter. She's really kind of cruel to him. And I know a lot of people listening are going to be like, yeah, but he cheated on her. Yes. But when you say, okay, I forgive you. And we're going to try to make this marriage work. You can't continually throw that back in his face. You also have to try work needs to happen from both of you. She is cruel, but she's not cruel all the time. Yeah. She's, I don't know. She's just real. Yeah, I imagine, yeah. though, I, I would probably have a hard time going to therapy as well if the therapist that I happen to know was my husband who did, in fact, have a, an affair on me, the biggest therapist in Wyndon. Is, yeah, is he the only one? I, well, I don't know, but I mean, I, I feel like I would have trouble trusting any therapist after that. You know what I mean? I would be like, well, I know you're a human, so why would I take your advice? The therapist I know cheated on me. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That's a total side note. Mm. Never mind. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I'm with you on all of that. And I think we had a really wonderful discussion today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does anybody else have any other notes on Charlotte? I don't. I have one small factoid. (gasps) Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Very small, a little interesting. 
Um, in in this show, there's so much bootstrap paradox going on. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting that the pocket watch is not bootstrapped. It was created and given to Gustave and it goes through all of these hands and winds up in adult Charlotte's hands. And that's the end of it. There's no loop. Wow, that's crazy. I'm thinking about what that means. Yes, of course you are. What should happen in a life? Yes, Dude. a beginning Holy and an end. shit. Fuck yeah, Murgles. Holy yep. shit. For Charlotte. There is a beginning and an end. Wow. For Charlotte. Okay. Well, yep. there- <laughs> <laughs> shit. <laughs> Cut it there, dude. What yeah. the fuck? <laughs> Holy shit. I love that. So good. I love yeah. that. Yeah. That for Charlotte, there is a beginning and end. And then we think about the watch for Charlotte. Holy shit. For Charlotte is the gift of time. For Charlotte, there will be a beginning and an end. For Charlotte, the loop will is over. God! Yes. <laughs> yes. Round of applause. Yep. That was so good. Okay, let's do shout outs. Yeah. yeah. Acorn? Yes, I'm Acorn or Acorn Bandit. You can find mm-hmm. me online at Acorn Bandit and also at joysons.com. I have a list of all the stuff that I'm working on. If you go to joisans.com slash pages slash acorn, including my other podcast, which is Avatar, the podcast about Avatar, the last airbender. And also I'm writing a novelization of the Final Fantasy X game for the 20th anniversary, which is this year. So you can find all that stuff over on my website. And that's me. Lovely. Thank you so much, Mergles. (laughs) Hello, I'm Murgles. I'm an animator and a storyboard artist by trade, and I stream on Twitch Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays the progression or the making of a film that I've been working on for the past year. We're getting close to halfway through rough animation, which is very exciting for me. I also just started on a new show on Table Story on Saturdays called Midsummer Mysteries. It's 2 p.m. EST. So if you're interested in like Victorian supernatural, which you should be because that's the the creators of Dark are writing a new thing in that time period. (laughs) So, you know, there you go. Check it out. Yeah. Victorian supernatural with like a touch of steampunk, right? Yeah. 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 Technically, it's Edwardian, but yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry to be that fucking person, but yeah. So that's me. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I'm PB. You can find me at Pumpkinberry at Twitch and Twitter. You can also go to pumpkinberry.tv and see all the cool things that I'm up to. But also, I want to tell you about the same thing. I'm in that show with Murgles. So if you want to see us going back and forth with each other in Edwardian time period, I'm playing a, I'm playing a, a character and it's a lot of fun because I'm it's creepy and there's magic and there's whispers in the woods and will o the wisps and it's just great it's, it's gonna so be good so far six episodes so not too much which you can find at tablestory.tv slash midsummer mysteries thank you so much for listening to the podcast we hope you've enjoyed it and of course if we've missed anything you can tweet at us individually using the hashtag dark companion pod or email dark companion pod at gmail and of course Special thanks to Johnny for letting us use the beautiful cover art. You can find him on Twitter at Johnny Knight, and that is spelled J-H-O-N-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T. We're also proudly part of the Geek Generation Network, and you can find more awesome podcasts, including Acorns 1 about Avatar The Last Airbender, related to cool, nerdy things like TV, comics, and movies at thegeekgeneration.com. 
Thank you so much for diving into dark. And we'll be back next Thursday with a Radio Winden. But the week after that is going to be episode number 27. Science and time travel. Yes. It's going to be a great topic. Bye. Bye.